Luke chapter 15. That's page 874 in the chair, the Bible's in the chair in front of you. Luke chapter 15. We'd love for everybody to own a Bible, so if you don't own one, please take the one in the chair in front of you, home with you, and consider it a gift from us, the Brook family, to you. We want us to get in God's Word, to dig in it, to, to, to submit to it. Today we're going to be preaching, I'm going to be preaching from Luke chapter 15. So I'm going to read verses 11 to 32 with you guys. I ask you to chime in at different times as we submit ourselves to God's Word here. This is what the parable of the prodigal son says. And Jesus said, verse 11, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Verse 13, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. Can you say far country? And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. Let's read verse 24 together. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father saying, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead 
and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is God's word for us this morning. I'm excited to preach it with you guys. You may be seated. I'm going to pray and ask for God's help as I open God's word with you guys. Would you join me in doing that? Father, we come before you, Lord, this morning, and we want to hear from you, God. God, when you gave us the dream to start this church some six years ago, Lord, you, you made it clear to us that you wanted to establish a place, a house, a place where we gathered together and we heard from you. God, we, we don't want to just show up and, and go through routines, God. We want to encounter the living God today, Lord. And so, Lord, just as you, meant to, you met us in the singing time, we pray in the same way you would meet us in the preaching of your word, Lord. And, Father, for that to happen, God, I pray that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see you, Lord. And, God, just as you meet us today, would you meet the surrounding churches among us as well, Lord? God, we lift up our brothers and sisters in the church family at City Lights and Midwest Bible Church at Bethany Baptist Church at Cross Culture and New Life Montclair and New Life Covenant. God, we, we pray for our brothers and sisters in other locations yearning and desiring for the same thing we're praying for here, Lord. Meet us, God. Encounter us, God. Manifest your presence in a, in a sweet way, Lord, as we sit under your word. God, we thank you that your word is living, it's active, and sharper than any two-edged sword. So, God, may we not be dull of heart, but receptive. God, may we not be spectators, but participants this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who wants to hear from God this morning? And I'm with you on that. This past week, I heard of a, 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 a weapon that was created for our military some of you guys who are military or war or weaponry junkies, you'll, you'll enjoy this one. So as our, as our army is off to war in different parts of our world, they've noticed a, a problem, a challenge that every, that every uh, campaign faced. And that was to ha- have a missile that can get through sandstorms and other kinds of bad wa- weather in order to reach its target. And so our military felt the challenge because they always needed boots on the ground in these adverse weather conditions in order to see the target. But recently, there was a weapons manufacturer that created a missile, get this, that could be launched 40 miles away and that could penetrate through storms, even a sandstorm, in order to reach a target without there being the need for people on the ground. But then, in addition to that, they created this missile so that it has infrared technology so that if the target decides to go on the move, it will hunt down the target to reach it. So not only could it be launched 40 miles away, not only can it get through all kinds of adverse weather conditions, but it also could actually hunt its target. That's pretty wild. It can get to the target That's on the move. You and I know that targets on the move are hard to get to. If you love playing dodgeball, you know when someone's running, it's harder to throw it at them. But every so often, you get that person who freezes, and you know, man, I'm going to nail this person, right? (laughs) If you've ever done archery, you know that the bullseye's there. You can shoot and go. That's good. But when you get to those archery places where the target is sliding left and right, 
it's more difficult. The same thing is at the shooting range. No matter what you do, you know that a moving target is difficult to attack. You know, you and I can oftentimes be like that, be a moving target, not from an enemy, but actually a moving target away from God. We, we can be a moving target where we, we push God away at a distance. But today there's good news that God is like that missile, which happens to be called the storm breaker. God can break through the storms, break through the adverse conditions of our lives, break through our own ignorance and stubbornness to reach the target that he sets to reach. You and I know that we could be a moving target. Any amens out there? For all kinds of reasons, but a lot of times we end up running away from God or distancing ourselves from God because in our minds, sometimes we believe that either God is not good or he's holding out on us. We, we believe that God, that God is, a, is a God who's powerful and, and, and blesses, but we're like, man, what, what's, what's up with my life, though? And so what happens is we start slowly drifting away from God. And when we've begun to do that, we begin to be surrounded by all kinds of adverse conditions, if you know what I mean. When we distance ourselves from God, we oftentimes let the lust of our hearts begin to burn more and more. Man, you know what it's like when you start not putting a rain on the lust of your eyes and the lust of your heart. And those passions begin to burn within you. And you know, like, this is not what God wants. But because you've distanced yourself and you push them away, you start becoming a moving target and find yourself in a place that is adverse and dangerous. Ladies, you know what it's like when, when there's a man in your life who starts speaking kindly to you, giving you the attention you desire, give, giving you even those words of affirmation, and you know that relationship is dangerous. But because you begin to push God away and become a moving target, you start falling for this temptation. Or maybe the attractions might even be same sex, or they might be of all kinds of things, but you know the lust of your heart, and when you start pushing God away and pursuing your sinful passions. And it doesn't have to be lust, it could be greed, doesn't it? Where we could look and we see the people around us and we're like, man, they got it good. Why aren't they struggling like I'm struggling? Why, 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 why do I have a hard time paying bills, but they're on vacation for two weeks? <laughs> and so you start realizing, man, that, that person's got a good job. And I, I know they got that job because they started bending the truth at work. They started becoming a little more dishonest, perhaps. And you start wondering, pushing God away, like, if I just did a little bit. Just cheat a little, lie a little. Maybe I can accomplish and attain to this part of wealth that I want to live the easy life that I perceive to be easy. And we become a moving target. It could be greed. It could be lust. It could be fame. We might say, man, th these people get attention. I'm not just talking Hollywood. Yeah, that's, that happens. But even in our own circles, uh, they get recognition. People seem to gravitate toward them. But what about me? And we push God away saying, God, if you were good, if you were loving, you would give me these desires. And we think he's holding out on us. We become that moving target, pushing God away. Family, we need to know something today about the character of God. 
We need to know that God is not only a chain breaker, but a storm breaker. We find ourselves, as we sang earlier, hiding in shadows, putting up walls, living in sin at different times. And the storms of life begin to rage around us because of decisions we've made, sinful decisions, wrong decisions. And we feel very distant from God. We are prodigals at heart. But God is a God who breaks even through those storms and offers his extravagant grace to all who would turn to him. You may be in those shoes today where in your heart you've, you've pushed God away. You are the prodigal. You, you are that woman, that man, that young person who's saying, God, I, I, just, I, don't, I, don't, think, I don't think I want to follow you anymore. The world looks all so enticing. The, the, I'm, I'm burning within. So I'm going to pursue those other things. And Man, I hope and pray that today God would grab your heart in the best of ways, no matter how bad it hurts, and extend this extravagant grace towards you, family. Maybe you've got someone in your life who's in that place. A family member, a son or daughter, co-worker, well, you know they are in the throes of rebellion. They need to know. They need to know that God's a storm breaker. He will hunt us down according to his loving kindness and call us to repent and turn to him. And so today, family, we're going to see God's extravagant grace at work. And I hope and pray by the end you will experience his extravagant grace in your life. We come to the book of Luke Chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. The religious leaders look at Jesus and they accuse him of being someone who eats with sinners. <laughs> he eats with the runaways. He, he eats with the people who hold him away, who've shaken their fist at God. Jesus spent time with those kind of people. He spent time with the people who, who hid themselves in darkness. He, he stood time with people that seemed unreachable. But God extended his love to them. And so Jesus got this reputation of being someone who did just that. And so he tells them three different stories, one of a lost sheep, one of a lost coin, and this one of a lost son. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, let's take a look at what it says here. And Jesus said to them, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And the father divided his property between them. Let's hold up there. The, the son is asking his father for his inheritance. But there's a tricky thing about inheritances. Usually you don't get them until the father dies. So he's looking at his dad and say, Dad, you know, I think it's about time, not necessarily for you to die, but for at least for you to give me my inheritance. So right off the bat, we see that here is a son who's not thinking about others, but thinking of himself. And he tells his dad he wants his, his inheritance, and then the father obliges to this son's foolish request. He divided his property between his two sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. You see, the son didn't have much of a plan. It says not long after that, he got his inheritance. 
He converts it, which was likely property, converts it into money. And not long after that, he goes off, it says, into a far country. Somewhere apart from accountability. Somewhere away from community. A place where nobody's going to take a look at what's going on in his life and speak any love into him. He separated and isolated himself. He kept his father. He detached himself from his father, which then equated reckless living. Hear me now, family. Detachment from the father led to reckless living for the son. He went into this far country and squandered his property in reckless living. In fact, later I think it's verse 30 or 31, the brother says that this son of yours actually went out with prostitutes as well. So what we get here is a picture of a son, a younger son, a rebellious son, who seemed to know what was better in his own eyes and went out and pursued it. He no longer was under the umbrella protection of his father, but left the accountability, the structure, and the love to go into a distant country in order to do what he seemed to be best to him. And he took his wealth and put it into work, not only to, uh, later to find out it all gets squandered. All the wealth that he had turns out to amount to nothing after he lived his life in this far country. And Jesus says, ultimately, he was reckless living The son actually ends up hitting rock bottom. Look in verse 14. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. I mean, this is a pretty bad situation he's in. He's likely a Jewish man, as Jesus tells us this story, this parable. parable. And now he's in this far country, which was likely a Gentile, a non-Jewish land. And he finds himself having a job feeding pigs of all animals. Now, if we read the Bible, we realize that pigs are known to be unclean animals to Jewish people. Even now, kosher foods, you're not going to find bacon in the kosher market. It's just not going to happen. There are no pork hot dogs in a kosher food store because pigs are unclean. But now this son is so desperate, he even gives up what's perceived to be clean in order to try to make some wages. And as he's there, he's looking at these unclean, nasty pigs, and he sees that they've got full stomachs, and his stomach is growling. And he starts becoming jealous of the very pigs he's feeding. He's looking at them like, how come they got food? And I'm here starving. And it says that no one gave him anything. You see, family, this parable has a purpose. See, the point of parables in Jesus' teaching is to take an everyday life circumstance and apply it into a spiritual reality. And so stories like this aren't uncommon. Even in our own day, we've known of people in these kind of situations who are under the, the care of a loving family but thought that they didn't know what's best for them, left that loving care to pursue their own reckless life. This is everyday life. And so Jesus takes this story, not so that we can start putting meaning into every little nook and cranny, but basically he's trying to convey a wider spiritual truth. And what he's teaching us is this, that there are times in our lives that we think we know what's best opposed to what God knows for our lives. 
and we find ourselves in the far countries. I'm not talking zip codes here. I'm not talking intersections. I'm talking about your spiritual location from which you operate. What's the address of your heart today, family? Uh, Do you find yourself in a distant country? Because a distant country is anywhere detached from the Father. If our Heavenly Father is not the one that you are living for, living to please, living under his guidance and care, you then are finding yourself, family, in a far country this morning. And in a far country, we find ourselves apart from accountability, love, and ultimately in a place where we're about to squander our very lives. And this is where Jesus says this younger son is at, starving physically like we often are starving spiritually and trying to fill and meet our appetite with junk food when the God of the heavens is offering to satisfy us and more. And so here the younger son is in this far country looking at the pigs, jealous of them, can't eat them, but wishes he could eat what they're eating. And in verse 17, he comes to his senses. It says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Look what he's saying. He's like, I was a a son in my father's household who has many hired servants, and even his servants are eating better than me. I mean, this, there's something wrong with this picture. Me, the son, is eating worse than the servants. So he's coming to his own finally. You know, it's in the far country we start realizing that common sense isn't all so common to us. It's in that distant country of rebellion, of keeping God at, God at arm's length away that we're realizing that what seemed to be very obvious when I was walking with Jesus isn't so obvious anymore. But God, in his kindness, gives this young man a kind of epiphany where he's like, man, the servants eat better in my dad's house. What am I doing here in the far country? Jealous of pigs. Verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father. All right, he's, right, he's ready to eat some, some humble pie. You know he's rock bottom here, family. You know he is. Because a lot of us, and, it's, and you know, this is true in us, when we are blinded, when we are stubborn as anything, the last thing we're about to do is go back where we came from and say I was wrong. Unless we hit rock bottom. You know, guys, this is something that we got to see here is that sometimes, uh, wrong way to put it. Let me say it this way. Rock bottom is a place of God's grace. Because oftentimes that's what it takes for our stubborn hearts to finally say, God, I need you. And this is where the son is at. He says, this is what I'm going to go back to my dad. This is what I'm going to say. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He starts repeating to himself. He's he's going over his plan of attack here. He's rehearsing his speech on his way back to his dad's house, talking it over of himself, figuring how he's going to swallow his pride as he goes on this walk of shame. And he begins to, to rehearse it. And the goal here, notice, he says, treat me as one of your hired servants. He says, this is what I want to get out of my return back home. He said, I've already squandered my 
placement as a son in the household, even my inheritance is gone. But at best, if I could be a servant, at least I'll have a full stomach. This is for the son is best case scenario. And notice, most of his assessment here is spot on. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. To sin against heaven is, is a figure of speech to say I've sinned against God. This son has got some good theology, actually. He realizes his sin was first and foremost against God. He said, God, you weren't, the one, you weren't caring for me. I'm not trusting you. I think you're holding out on me. Therefore, he went out to the far country. So his sin was first against God, but then he sinned against his dad, too. This is the family name. So, so he's spot on in his assessment. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. See, the word worthy in, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, in this Greek time, and the Greek word, is to convey the idea of an equal balance. You picture the scales, you've seen them. On one side, you have this little cup filled with a material in there, and it causes the scale to go down until you even it up on the other side. When the, 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 the weight on the other side is even, it is of worth, the same worth as the other side. You get what I'm saying? So one side is worthy of the other side when the scales are balanced. And so the son is saying, I'm going to go back home, and I know I've got nothing in my scale. I am not worthy of my father or his household. So he realizes his sin has made a, 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 a separation with his dad. So he says, if I could be a servant, that's best case scenario. The son's calculations appear to be correct. But there's one dramatic thing he doesn't understand. And this is where Jesus' words are most special. Is that the father is a father of compassion. This is good news. Look at verse 20. As the son arose and came to his father... Uh, he said this as he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Just think of this. How much the son had done wrong to the father. The father could have thought, I told you so. What did you think was going to happen, kid? You got what you deserved. You had it good here. You left me. You're on your own. Boy, what are you thinking coming back now? In our flesh, that's the way we would respond. But the father instead, when he sees his son a long way off, family, the son hasn't even spoken a word yet. Family, we are like this prodigal. So often we just turn away from God and we, we keep him at a distance, and we think God is going to be reluctant to receive us back home, but God knows we can't even speak a word often in our sin. But look at this father here. He sees his son from a distance away. He runs to him. He doesn't even wait for him to come to him. He is aggressive in his restoration and in his compassion. He runs to his son. He hugs his son. He kisses his son. Imagine what the son felt at that moment. Perhaps shame? Why are you doing this, dad? Undeserving? Do you know what I did? 
Do you know where I've been? You know my pockets are empty? You see the distress in my body? Why are you hugging and kissing me? And so the son is, wants to make sure his, his dad understands what's going on. He tells him in verse uh, 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This is what he rehearsed. But look at verse 22. But the father said to his servants, let's stop there. What's missing? You notice that? He says to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, period. What's missing? Well, what's missing is treat me as one of your hired servants. Well, what changed? Did he forget his speech? Well, the answer is in verse 22, the first word. The word is but, which is a contrast. We're given the picture that while the son is rehearsing his speech, the father silences him and says, enough. And he calls his servants and he says, we got to have a party now. Son, I don't, I don't want to hear your speech. I, I don't want to hear what you've got to say here because you're home now. The father stops him mid-sentence and says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and chanclas or shoes on his feet. He said, my, my son, my son, my own flesh and blood, my son is standing before me almost naked. Put a robe on him, the best one. He's got nothing on his feet. Put some shoes on his feet. Put a ring on his finger. Let him remember he's with me. He's part of my family. He belongs to me, the father says. And then he says in verse 23, kill the fattened calf. And it's time to celebrate. See, the fattened calf is a, just that. It's a calf that they're feeding and feeding. They're plumping up for a special occasion. And it takes some time to get it in its perfect spot. And so this calf is fully fattened. It's ready for a special occasion. For us, that'd be Christmas, right? Or Thanksgiving. And the dad's like, no, today we're eating that thing. We're, we're going to eat that thing. We're going to have some gyros today. And this is the reason why the dad wants to celebrate. Verse 24, for my son was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. That's what I call a storm breaker. When the son was in the throes of his rebellion, the father pursues him as the son turns just slightly toward him in repentance. And the father meets him in this place. What a picture of love. If you're a prodigal today, you've got to do what the son did. See, the first thing he did is he turned away from the far country. And he turned back to the Father. He changed his mind. He came to his senses. He says, Father, I'm sorry. See, this is what Jesus calls us to do, family. When we find ourselves pushing God away, we come and say, God, I'm turning away from this mess I've been living in, from all the stupidity that I thought was the right thing. God, when I thought you were holding out on me, you were showing me love. I'm so sorry. Father, forgive me. I've sinned against you, oh God, and I've sinned against the others around me. But here's the beautiful thing is that our worth is not dependent on our actions, but on the actions of Jesus who was worthy on his cross. And so the father here receives his son back home. What a beautiful picture 
we read earlier, that we did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That's how our God is. That's his character. What, what I love here, though, is that we, we title this story the prodigal son, but we forget what verse 11 told us, and it's that there are two sons. There are two sons. You see, in fact, a third of the story is dedicated to the other son. Because we've learned of this detachment from the father in this reckless and rebellious son, but we're going to learn something different in the other son. Because we see here in verse 25, now the older son was in the field when all this happened. He doesn't know what's going on. But what he does know is when he comes closer, he heard music and dancing. I mean, they were, this wasn't just a feast. I mean, they were like cha-cha slide and everything at this party. Was there a Deuteronomy here? I mean, they're doing something. And the son comes back from the field, and he's like, hold up. Like, what? Is this a, I mean, Cupid shuffle? I'm seeing, I'm seeing people dancing. He's like, What's, what just happened? I was out in the field only but a couple hours. I'm back here, and there's a party going on. And this is what happens. He asks his servants, and they say, well, in verse 27, your brother has come home. Your father killed the fattened calf because he received them back safe and sound. But notice the response of the older brother in verse 28. He was angry and refused to go in. He's like, I'm not going to this party. Uninvite me, please. So the father sees his older, older son moping outside. And he goes to him and he treats him. He says, come on in, please. And this is what the father tells, or the, the son tells the dad in verse 29. The older son says, look, these many years I have served you, and I, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? Do you feel this, family? You ever been in that place? We're saying, God, I've been trying to follow you all of these years, and this is what I get? I get that phone call from the doctor? I get that news from my friend? And this person here is wilding out, and, and now they seem to be okay? But I, I've been the obedient one. I resonate with your soul. But the older son turns out to be just as lost as his brother. Because look what he says. He says, I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me anything. The older son is, is basically saying, I've slaved in your house. But the older son is not operating like a son. He's operating like a servant. He's doing it out of duty and not out of delight. He's saying, Dad, I'm doing what you want, not because I love you, Dad, but because I'm obedient. And so many of us live out our Christian lives with that same kind of mindset. We follow God not because we really love him, but because we just want to obey. We, we just want to have our ducks in a row. But what happens is we become like this brother who is self-righteous. He's a legalist. He's the kind of person who has everything down to a T and looks down upon others who don't meet his spirituality. 
He's the kind of person who looks at someone in the pit and says, you deserve what you got. I'm up here because I obeyed. And he's looking over his brother, not even happy that his brother's home alive. There's no hint of joy that his brother's back. In fact, he won't even call him his brother. Notice what he says, this son of yours, he's bitter, he's angry, and he's just as lost as his younger brother. Notice what the father does with the older brother. The same thing he does with the younger one. Meets him with compassion in the midst of his foolishness. The father said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. He's like, son, did you forget? You're not my servant. You're my son. You're my family. You carry my name. What strikes me here is how close the son was to the father. Didn't even know him. This past week, uh, our shower broke, and it wouldn't turn off. So I had to go back and take the lever, the water outlet, and, and turn it off and on. And I got pretty good actually controlling the temperature like that, by the way. And eventually, we needed to change the shower valve, and I went to Home Depot, and of course, I, I'm bringing the part in. I was like, I don't know anything right now. And there was this one really helpful old guy. He's like, oh, you need to replace this shower valve, da-da-da. I'm like, all right, cool. So I went to the store. I got a shower valve. It looked the same. Went back home, installed the shower valve, and it, and it still wouldn't turn on and off. It just kept running. So I'm like, the shower valve must be broken, right? So I went back to Home Depot. Actually, it was Menards this time, and I got another shower valve and installed it again. like, the valve must be broken. I mean, you get what I'm saying here. It was a problem with its installation, not a problem with the part. What I learned was that this shower valve I purchased was an eighth of an inch too short. It appeared to fit perfectly, but it was still detached. It got close to the shower from where the water was supposed to flow through in order for it to reach and turn on and off. It was super close, family, but it was still disconnected. So so many times, family, we're like this older brother, so close to our heavenly father, but you're not engaged with him. You have all the pictures of being one who's connected with God. You go to church on Sundays, and church ain't even a building, but it's a people. You get together with the church family. You think, I'm connected to God because I'm here. You play worship music in the car. I'm connected to God. I got a Bible on my dashboard. I got an app on my phone. But you're not spending time with God. You're not connected with the Father. This story of the prodigal son is more like the story of the prodigal sons, plural. Or better yet, the story of the merciful Father. Whether it's the reckless rebel or the self-righteous legalist, Family, we serve a God who is a storm breaker. Even when you and I are moving targets. Even when you and I push God away, God's like, man, I'm here. I've got my infrared technology. I will hunt you down. Come and turn back to me and repent. 
If you are the younger son today and you find yourself in a distant country detached from your heavenly father and you've pushed God away, saying, God, I don't need you. I'm going to figure this out. Would you do like the younger son did and come to your senses today and recognize that coming to your senses really is a gift of God? It is something that God allows your mind to say, God, I need you. And it's his grace. It's his extravagant grace. God's not going to stand, push you away because he's offended, although he is offended. But his justice is as true as his mercy. So if you are that prodigal daughter, that prodigal son, you turn back to him. James 4, 8 puts it this way. Draw near to God and he will what? Draw near to you. The son turned toward the father, didn't even speak a word, and the father meets him in that place. God is calling you today, fam. Draw near to your heavenly father. And there's more good news. Because the heavenly father has a son as well. I'm not talking prodigal son. I'm talking our heavenly father has got a son who is connected to the heart of his father. There is a son who left his homeland to go to a far country family. You with me here? There is a son who came and lived among the unclean. You know what I mean. It ain't the pigs, it's the people. There was a son who went into a far country, remaining connected to the father to be among the unclean. And he has an inheritance. He didn't squander it. In fact, he came with a mission to give us an inheritance. And our inheritance, the Bible says, will never perish, spoil, or fade away. It's kept in heaven for us because of the Holy Spirit. Oh, you can clap, family. There's a son who gives us this. There's a son who has a robe, and it's called righteousness. And he took off his robe to put it on you and me. And then he takes up another robe called sin and puts it upon himself on that cross. And so when you come to your heavenly father and you come to Jesus and you look at him on that cross, you know that your sin, your robe of sin was placed on the son and his robe of righteousness was clothed upon you through faith. There's a son who always stood connected with his father so that prodigal sons and prodigal daughters can be connected to the father. This is good news, family. Are you that distant and detached and reckless and rebellious one today? Or are you the older sibling here, close but not really knowing your father? Sure, maybe you haven't abandoned your belief, but are you listening to the heart of God today? Does your heart bleed for what God's heart bleeds for? See, the older brother could not even be happy that his son who was flirting with death came home alive. But one whose heart bleeds like the heart of God bleeds sees anybody, no matter where they're at, and when they come to Jesus, they rejoice and celebrate and cha-cha slide for the glory of God because one who was lost is found. 
Don't be a self-righteous legalist. Yes, you obey your heavenly Father, but not out of duty, but out of delight. Don't be doing do because you have to, but because you love to. You see, when we follow our heavenly Father, when we follow Jesus, when we walk in submission to him, there's no greater place to be, to be constantly connected with the God of the universe and experiencing his daily extravagant grace. That's a delight to follow him. So like the other son, would you today also repent and say, God, I'm sorry for making this faith a matter of law and not relishing and savoring your grace. We serve a God who is not only a chain breaker, but a storm breaker. When you and I find ourselves burning with rebellion within us, whether it's lust or greed or fame or you name it, God doesn't say, I'm done with you. But he does say, turn back to me. So today is your opportunity to experience the grace of our God. In a moment, I'm going to close in prayer and invite our prayer team to come up. If you are that prodigal son or daughter today, don't let an opportunity pass you up to get right with your heavenly Father. Whether you struggle with self-righteousness or just straight-up recklessness, Maybe you got someone in your life and you've had a hard time showing compassion to them because of their self-righteousness or recklessness. God's calling you to repent and to take up the compassion of the Father. Do that today. Our God is good to us, family. No storm can keep him away, even when we tend to move. So let's rest in his grace, not being passive but proactive. And say, Lord, have your way with me. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the Son, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, as 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us. Jesus, we praise you for leaving your internal throne. God, we'll never, never wrap our minds around your love. But God, you do offer us the ability to taste of it even today. Lord, as, as, as some are hearing today, Lord, I know that you're in pursuit of them. And Lord, I God, I God, I pray that they would not push you away. Lord, for that, that man or woman, that young person today who has never fully surrendered, their life to Jesus and ask for his forgiveness. Giving their life to him, say, I want to live for you, God. Let, let them do that today, Father. Let today be the day of salvation for that one or two. And Lord, for your children today in this room, they know you, Lord. They've been so close, but really disconnected from you. They've been going through the routine, but they haven't been listening to you, God. They haven't been savoring you and and Lord, today you're awakening them. You're showing them, Lord, that they haven't, they haven't heard your heartbeat, God. Lord, just as you showed compassion to one, let them experience your compassion today. 
God, it's like you tell us all, all I have is yours. You belong to me. Church family, I want you to hear these words. As you keep with your heads, hearts bowed. See, God, God adopts sons and daughters into his family when we put our faith in Jesus. And he gives you a new name at that point. A new identity. He calls you daughter. He calls you son. And he seals you with his Holy Spirit. And there's nothing, nothing on, on earth, nothing in hell that can separate you from him. And you just need to hold on to that truth today. You need to cling and hold fast to your God and say, God, bring me back. You can't lose your salvation because you couldn't earn it. You, you can't squander your salvation because it was dependent on Jesus' obedience. So would you just come back to your Father and say, God, I need you today. Thank you for, for your Holy Spirit that has sealed me for the day of redemption. And God, I've squandered this identity. Forgive me, Lord. Let me live for you. Let, let that be your prayer, brother, sister. Father, we just bring this request before you, Lord. And pray that not one in this room that you want to speak to would be dull of ears, Lord, including myself. So let us sing, oh God. Let us worship and surrender with all of our might and by your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's rise to our feet, family. Prayer team, would you please come forward as we sing this closing song? Family, let's respond. Let's respond to the voice of God, the voice of the Father, as His Spirit speaks to you.